Okay, we want to welcome you to our weekly Bible study for 4807, April 8th, 2007. Um, across America today, <laughs> probably America more than any other place, this is going to be the highest church attendance day, you know, and that's the way it is pretty much every year. The, the, the two times of the year where most people attend church uh, to get their dose of brill cream religion. You know, a little dabble, do ya? This is the ultimate in brill cream religion today. Just want to let everyone know that. Uh, it, they, can, they can turn out two days a year, Christmas time and uh, Easter, and it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. They can go in there, kind of placate their conscience and, and these types of things. And uh, we're going to look at Easter today. And we're going to do an in-depth study on this. And I, I was actually amazed at what I found out about the night. I knew most of this, but there were some things I even learned. I was up until 2 o'clock last night in the morning studying this. Because once I got started on this, I, I really couldn't stop. One thing led to another and to another and to another. And, and you're going to notice today that there's a lot of things that are tied into Easter that influence the modern day church in a huge way. Really more so than even Christmas, because there's a lot of things leading up to Easter that don't take place at Christmas. Like we got, we have things like um, Lent and Ash Wednesday and, and all these things. And, and how did all this stuff get started? Where, where did this all come from? Okay, Because I don't see any record of it when Jesus Christ was here. I don't see any of it. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, this has to do with Jesus Christ's resurrection. And I'm here to tell you today, it has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter, please. It does not. I am going to, without a shadow of a doubt, prove that today. Now, if any of you want me to include you on my, my Christian-oriented email list, just email me. You can click on the... Uh, the link on my website um, at sermonsaudio.com. The email address is drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom, n-e-t-c-o-m dot com. You can go up to my site and click on it and email me. And, and let me know, uh, I have two email lists. One is Christian-oriented type of uh, current events. And then the other one I have is has to do with health issues and um so, let me know which list you want to be included on. Uh, and so, looking at this, I like to start out every teaching with Bible verses where we can establish a foundation. Because the Bible says that the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's Proverbs 11, verse 3. There's a verse in Galatians that's very, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on this ever. Um, I've heard it mentioned before, but uh, Galatians 4 10 through, 10 through 12 says, But now, after that ye have known God... Now, I should preface this. This is Paul addressing the Galatians. The Galatian people. Okay, And what's happened here is they were pr primarily Jews that were saved, but they were wanting to go back in to the Jewish religion. They were wanting to go back to the tenets of Judaism in order to amalgamate that into true Bible-believing Christianity. 
And that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. If you have any doubt if Christian Zionism, if the Hebrew Roots Movement, if Messianic Judaism is right for you, please read the book of Galatians out of the King James Bible. Because I don't understand how anybody could read the book of Galatians out of the King James Bible. And that's just one part. Now there's... You could go into Hebrews, you could go into Romans. There's a lot of other confirmatory truths in the New, in the New Testament in regard to this subject. Uh, but I, I don't see how it's possible to just read the book of Galatians alone and want to be entangled with that yoke of bondage because that's what it is. Galatians 4, 10-12 says, But now, after that ye have known God, or, or are rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Whereunto ye desire again to be into bondage. So this is, these people, you know, basically were converted to Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, and now he's saying, how, why are you going to turn back to the weak and beggarly elements? Because these things are bondage. Christ freed us from this bondage through his death, burial, and resurrection. Galatians goes on to say, Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. When he's saying, How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, where ye desire again to be in bondage, then he says, Ye observe days and months. Now, what does that mean? Well, they're observing all of these, these whatever that they're observing at the time, these days, like, like right now we have Easter or Christmas, things like this. There's no commandment in the Bible where we should be going around celebrating these things in the New Testament whatsoever. Now, I understand in the Old Testament there were the feasts and things of this nature. But we're under a new and better covenant, a different type of dispensation where we're not supposed to observe days and months and times and years not to put one day over another. Okay, so we want to establish this. And, and again, you have to look at the New Testament as a, as a Bible-believing Christian, and you're going to see this is confirmed. There, there's just no place in the New Testament where we should go around doing these things. Now the pagans, the pagans have done this from antiquity. They've done this. The Bible says, though, to learn not the way of the heathen. We're not supposed to learn the way of the heathen. Mark 7.13 says, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. What are these things then? If, if they didn't come from Bible-believing Christianity, if they didn't come from the word of God, which is really, that has to be our standard, the word of God, where did they come from? From the tradition of men. The Bible says, in Jeremiah 17.9, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So, when you trust in man, or man-made religion, you better be careful, because you could be bringing yourself under a curse. Why do you think the Bible says in Hosea 4.6 that my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge? And then it goes on to say, because thou hast rejected knowledge, thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject thee and thy children. So, it's very, very. It's a very, very bad thing to reject truth. Um, that's why we need to to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy two fifteen. Uh, 
The Bible also says in Proverbs 18.13, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. So if you answer a matter before you heareth it, this is what most people do when you, when you would bring up the subject of, of Easter. Because they're going to answer that matter in their own mind before they've heard it. They're going to candy coat it and say, well, my pastor never said there was anything wrong, and everybody's doing it, and it feels so right, and all these other... It's, all it is is their opinion. Everybody has opinions. But the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 says that exact thing. So you have to be very, very careful um, what you're believing in. And people will go around and they'll say, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel bad about it. I, I think it's just perfectly fine. Everybody else is doing it. Well, you know, that makes them feel better about it because the masses are doing it. But if the masses are doing it, you have to question it right there alone. If, if men that are, are much loved and, and highly esteemed in the world are saying it's okay to do it, the Bible says, He that is highly esteemed among man is an abomination in the sight of God. So that's, you know, these are things that, that if, if everybody's doing it, you better, you better probably get off that boat. Because the Bible says, narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. And few there be there that find it. Now I'm not talking about works-based religion where we've got to do this or we're going to go to hell. But I'm saying that if you are a true child of God and the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you should have some conviction that you're doing wrong or God should at some point show you by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you that there's some problems with what you're doing. Now, I know this because when I first got saved, I, I was basically... Uh, saved into a radical sect of charismatic Pentecostal, you know, movement. And um, I stayed there for a while, but slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit started showing me a lot of the things, a lot of the problems that were wrong, what was going on within that movement. And eventually I ended up coming out of all that, and, and it did take a long time. But God was always leading me to the right direction. It may have been incrementally, it may have been in small steps, but it happened. My question is, is if you have somebody that's warming a pew week after week in some apostate lukewarm church and there's no conviction that they're doing anything wrong, how does the Holy Spirit dwell in that person? By their fruit you shall know them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, these types of things. And I just, I just don't see a lot of uh, conviction. It's as though their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Well, isn't that what 1 Timothy 4.1 says? Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed... Now remember, this is the latter times. This is the time we're living in, right? Okay. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, that's, that's what the Bible says it was going to be like in the latter times. One of the earmarks of the latter times. It also says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. The word wax means to grow, deceiving and being deceived. And then it talks about the Laodicean church of Revelation 3. That's neither hot nor cold, but is lukewarm. So, 
these are things that we should be on the lookout for. And in a way, I don't get discouraged when I see it, because it's a confirmatory, it's confirming the Bible, the Word of God. That's all it's doing. It shouldn't get us down and make us... I mean, I understand. We can get overwhelmed with all the evil that's going on around us, but it is a confirmation of Scripture. So it's kind of like looking at the glass either half full or half empty. We can look at it like, oh man, you know, it's just so terrible and everything's coming down around us. And But the Bible said it was going to be this way. Look up for your redemption, draw nigh. Kind of try to look at it that way. Um, oh, it can't go on like this much longer. <laughs> I mean, I just it, it can only go on so long in the current state it's in. I mean, we're we're I think we're surpassing the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah in this country, and I don't know how long we have left. Um, I'm I'm not going to get into any of the stuff we got into last week on the. Uh, on the Iranian subject, um, I will say if you get on my email list, I'll, I'll be keeping you informed of that. But um, that's a whole other subject. And um, just praying that, that through um, prayer and public awareness that hopefully that situation will be averted. But we're going to look today more so at Easter. I'm, I don't know how long this is going to take, but... Um, I, was, I did a lot of research on this last night, and um, there's a website that has a very good synopsis of a lot of the things that are going on. Now, what we're going to do today is not just look at one source. We're going to look at numerous references, sources. We're going to look at what, what are the pagans saying? What are the witches and warlocks saying about Easter? And then we're going to look at what are the Christians saying? What are the Christians saying from antiquity about this? Okay, So, what I'm trying to do today is stay away from Scott's opinion. I don't want this to be about my opinion. Because everybody's got an opinion. Okay, And, and I don't want to get into that. I want to get into what, what, are, what are the various groups out there saying. Is there a consensus about what Easter is really about? And you're going to see today that really... The true Bible-believing Christians that have studied this and the pagans are basically, they're in agreement. They're saying the same thing about this because what we're going to base this upon today is not opinion but facts. So if you have facts and they're facts and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're not disputable, well then you can, you, you can even have consensus among pagans and Christians. I mean, you know, let's face it. Evil's evil. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And this man from Answer to Catholics, I think it's AnswerToCatholics.com, um, I'm going to read his little lead-in, because I thought it was really good, the way that he put things. And obviously this man has a passion about the subject. He says, and this is in regard to Easter, All too often we accept traditions merely because they are so old, or because they have a Christian name placed upon them. Even if we know of their pagan origin, Christmas is proof of this fact. We all know that Christ was not born in winter. We all know that Christmas trees have absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. We all know that telling our children about Santa is a bold-faced lie. Yet, we do it for the sake of tradition. And again, we, we, look, at the, we look at Mark 7.13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. See, when we, when we do these traditions, we're basically saying we're ignoring the Word of God. We're ignoring learn not the way of the heathen. We're ignoring, you know, not to put one day above another, to, to, to not observe days and these types of things, these commandments in the Bible, or these tenets of the Bible, I should say. 
So going back to this, he says, yet we do it for the sake of tradition. We openly allow the mixture of truth and lies and then call acceptable Christian tradition. Well, isn't that what Satan always tries to do? A little leaven, leaven is always a type of sin, a little leaven leaveth, leaveneth the whole lump. What does the Bible say to do about this? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says to purge ye out the old leaven that the whole lump be made new. See, it only takes a little bit of sin to permeate and mess everything up and corrupt it. That's what leaven does in yeast. Just takes a little bit of it to get that whole lump of yeast to rise. It permeates through it very quickly. So when we when we allow the mixture of truth and lies with these pagan holidays to permeate into the church, you know, it's 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 all downhill from there. Then he goes on to say, Yet is a yet it is written, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 1 Kings 18.21 Choose whom this day you are going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua says. So, you know, how long are you going to vacillate? God, see, God is not the author of confusion. You know, why would God, why would all this information that's so overwhelming be out there? What, is God trying to confuse everybody? No. We're going we're gonna to show this today, hopefully crystal clear, that this isn't an issue any Christian should have any confusion about. You know, if you study it on your own and you use your own brain, and you don't uh, put your trust in man, because man will fail you. You cannot do that. Easter is no different than Christmas. In fact... Now, this is, this is this answers to Catholics. Easter is no different than Christmas. In fact, it's worse in many ways. It actually affords us the opportunity to expose it with childlike ease. And I, I thought that's the case. The more I researched this, the more I realized that this is exposed with childlike ease. This isn't something that, you know, is hard to prove. <laughs> it's not. I mean, this is, this is, Simple. Easy. This isn't like, oh, I've searched for years and years and years to learn the truth about this this holiday and finally found that it's a deception. This is so easy. I'm sorry, but it is. And we're going to look at, look at this today. I mean, all I did last night, I went up there and did a keyword search for Easter Ishtar, which is, we're going to look at that too, and um, probably heresy. It's as easy as that. You know, you could do you could do amazing things on the internet. The, the internet is one of those things that can be used for great evil, which is what it's mostly used for because of the pornography primarily. But it can also be used for good, and it's also part of when he ta- when he talks to Daniel. I believe in Daniel twelve four he says, "Seal up the sum thou will Daniel. Um, many shall run to and fro, and, and knowledge shall increase." And, and he says, "Seal up the sum until the end." So again, we're talking about the end times here. Knowledge is going to increase, but most of the knowledge that's out there is deception knowledge. And and this, how do we know this? Well, we know the Antichrist is going to deceive the whole world. We know this. We know they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and there's going to be many deceivers. There's going to be many antichrists. Antichrist, somebody that's against Christ. There's only going to be one antichrist, but there's going to be many antichrists. Jesus Christ said it was going to be this way. He says if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, that's the time you're in, Christian. That's the time you're in. Shouldn't we be looking around in our own lives, primarily start with yourself first, Ask God to show you 
where you're being deceived, start with yourself first. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a beam in your own. Now that's the time that you shouldn't judge. Okay? That's the time that you judge not lest you be judged. But the Bible also says, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. When you get past the point of having the beam in your own eye, and you can see, then you are supposed to judge. We have to judge every day. We have to. We're supposed to judge righteous judgments. Jesus Christ said that. Judge righteous judgment. So, um, getting back to this article, it says, Yet still many call it a holy day regarding Easter, and clamor to the churches to celebrate that which was solely invented by Satan to pay homage to him and him alone. Oh, now, now you're really going overboard, Brother Johnson. Now you're going off the deep end now. You can't be saying that. Oh, yes, I can. Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna, to... We're going to come let us reason together today. We're going to look at this, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to see what the facts are. He goes on to say, I ask that the Christian that sees no wrong in celebrating this, this pagan Roman Catholic festival of rebirth, which is exactly what it is, that's about as good of a definition, if you had a five, six word definition, pagan Roman Catholic festival of rebirth. That is a great synopsis of what it is. How can you see no wrong in mixing Satanism with Christianity? Again, this is... How can you see no wrong mixing leaven with the lump? The lump that should be pure. And we're not doing that. How can you do this and still call it a day of worship for your Creator God when He clearly states to have no union with the things of this world? We're going to look at those verses later. How can you tell your children about an Easter bunny that symbolizes sexual prowess to the pagan sun worshiper? See, why, 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 do we have East, why do we have the bunnies? Now, we're going to look at that a little bit more, but bunnies are the fastest procreating mammal. They're the symbol of the fertility goddess, Ishtar. Why would she pick a bunny? Because it's the fastest procreating animal. Okay? How can you claim the egg that this bunny supposedly lays, and that's an impossibility, Okay, but this claim that the egg this bunny supposedly lays represents Christ or some aspect of his resurrection when it is well known to have first been used to represent fertility to the pagan. And we're going to look at all these more in depth, okay? Mr. and Mrs. Christian, how can you allow your children to take part in the sexual games played by the pagans of old? Now, I didn't, had never thought about this, but listen to this. These are the sexual games played by pagans of old and now renamed Spring Break by many young people during the pagan festival of Easter week. The children flock to the warmer climates this time of year from all over the world just for this purpose. Are you aware of what they do there? If not, just ask anyone who has watched MTV during this time of year. This sinful broadcast reveals in the making all where in making all aware of the sexual decadence that is encouraged and then embraced by the young people. They make it look acceptable, fun, and exciting. And for those that choose not to go that far, these are the spring breakers, the more, more likely you know, teenagers and people in college. And if you choose not to go that far, they ridicule you and use the old favorite methods of peer pressure to get them to join in. The amazing thing is, they videotape it all and most parents still embrace it. Because you can go up on, you know, I'm not advising to go up on MTV. That is one of the most wicked channels, period. But they do. They tape it all. And, and I mean, they show what they're doing. And I had never thought about it that way. But it is. It is why do we have spring break? Because of Easter. 
That's why we have it. That's the holiday that we have the excuse to have it. So just some other way to, to kind of look at this. Okay, so now so far I've weighed in on this a little bit. We've had another man weigh on a little bit. Now let's let's have let's see what the witches say. Let's see what they say. Why why is it wrong to look at what a pagan says? I mean, who would know better if it's a pagan holiday than a pagan? Christians are not going to have that that knowledge typically most of the time. They're not going to have that knowledge. Whereas a pagan or a witch, if this is part of their religion, then they're going to know all about it. So let's see what they say. Now, this is the history of the Temple of Ishtar. I found this on the internet last night. This is the first link I found. Okay? Um, this is an excerpt from Sacred Sexuality. This, this is an excerpt I'm going to read you. Now, there's nothing really bad. When I mean, it's not like pornographic when I'm reading. I mean, granted, you could carry it in your mind, but they're basically stating facts here. Okay, this is these this uh, book this from from this excerpt is by two occultists named A. T. Mann and Jane Lyle. This is an excerpt from their book. Okay, quote. Now this is this is the history of the Temple of Ishtar. Get ready. In her temples in many lands from Egypt. Now this is in reference to Ishtar. In her temples, and they and they out of reverence they they capitalize her out of reverence to Ishtar, because that's their god. In her temples in many lands, from Egypt to Assyria, to Babylon, to Crete, to India, to Rome and Greece, and many Celtic lands, her temples had a sacred priest had sacred priestesses, who were also called temple prostitutes by the Christians. Okay? We, we might have heard of temple prostitutes, possibly, in preaching or whatever. Um, Ishtar's worship was in the arms of the priestess who embodied and represented the goddess. These worshippers are sometimes known as pagans. Now this is what this pagan website is saying. A fundamental difference in the concept of worship is important to be noted. In the temples of the old ways, now when you hear the old ways of the old religion, if you ever hear that term, that's in reference to witchcraft. Whenever you hear the old ways of the old religion. Now see, the pagans say that They've got one up on the Christians because they have the old ways. The old see, they they were one up on us because see, basically a lot of the stuff that we do today as Christians, like celebrating Easter, they've been doing it way longer than the Christians have. Therefore, they feel as though they're much more adept, and they're the ones that really know the true meaning. And they're right, actually, they do. When it comes to pagan holidays, so it says um, in the temples of the old ways. People would go to the temple, people would go to the temple to be worshipped. Not God, or even a goddess, or a small god, you know, small g, not large g. The actual people would go to the temple to be worshipped. Well, isn't that always been the main temptation from the very, very start of sin? Let's just read this real quick. Genesis 3, chapter 1. I wasn't going to read this, but I just got convicted to do this. Genesis 3, chapter 1. This is the temptation of Eve, which which is implying the doubt of benevolence of God. Okay, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Satan had actually... This is how Satan manifested Eve as a serpent. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he was what he was doing, and this is what Satan does up to this day. And he does it mostly through false Bible versions today. But what he did is he was questioning the word of God. He's questioning God's word. That God had told Adam and Eve and said, Oh, yea, if God said, did he really say that? I don't think he really did. Chapter, uh, verse 2 says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So what Eve did is actually, in a way, the right thing. She actually quoted, corrected the devil on what God actually said. Okay? And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So again, Satan questions the word of God again. That's what he's doing here. And that's what the false perverted Bibles do. And, and so much of the time what the lukewarm pastors in this country and world do as well. Not all of them. I don't want to indict everybody, okay? I'm just saying that for the most part, Based on the times we're living in, that's the case. Um, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that was verse 5. This is Satan talking to her. Now notice what he says. This is, this is the, the third time he's questioning really God's word. And he says, For God know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, which is a partial truth. It is the truth. And ye shall be as gods. Now that's a lie. So what is, he, what is he doing? He's mixing truth with lie. And that was the big temptation from the very, very beginning of the foundation of the earth where sin actually entered into mankind. Now Satan had already sinned, obviously. He had already fallen from heaven. But this is the first time a human being had ever sinned. Okay, ever. So, what was the big temptation? What was the big carrot that he hung out in front of her? That ye shall be as gods. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, now she's trying to justify it in her head. She's trying to justify everything now. Because now she's wanting to be as a god, and she's trying to think, oh boy, boy, how can I justify this? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, um, we could do a whole sermon just on this alone. I don't want to get too far into that. But let's go back to this to this article where it says, a fundamental difference in the concept of worship is to be, worship is important to be noted. Now this is this history of the temple of Ishtar. In the temples of old, of the old ways, people would go to the temple to be worshipped. They want to be as gods. This is the big temptation of the whole New Age movement. You're going to be as gods. You're gonna be you're gonna be your own little god. This is the, I mean I'm telling you this is the main carrot and tenet of the new age movement that we're going into. It's one of the main tenets of witchcraft. It's it, it is, and we know that really, if we look at the end times, the main religion of the end times is going to be witchcraft. Okay, why do I know this? Because the Bible says that the Antichrist in Daniel he says that the Antichrist will cause craft. To prosper. Witchcraft. That's what's going to be the, the main religion. I mean, we could put a veneer or whatever we want on it. And, and to be honest with you, all these fake false religions 
are involved with witchcraft. It may not be overt. It may it may not be outward, like where where you know a Catholic is coming out there with a magic wand and and casting spells or whatever. But I'm telling you, at the highest levels of these religions, they're doing exactly that. They are doing, they are performing witchcraft at higher levels. Then they're putting a spell on these people, and these people are blind to the truth. And a lot of it is, most of it is actually spiritual. What's happening to them? They are, they are, they're bringing themselves under these curses of these false religions, and their eyes are being blinded by the devil. The prince of this world has blinded their their eyes that they do not see, as the Bible says. So this is what's happening in, in the modern day church. See, when when you're going and you're warming a pew in your standard modern day apostate lukewarm church, it's not just you warming a pew. You're putting yourself under the spirits that operate through that false religion that you're in. You are. Don't kid yourself. You are. Well, you're now you're really getting out of control, Brother Johnson, saying stuff like this. Well, the, doesn't the Bible say we battle not against flesh and blood? We battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. This is where our true battle is. And those are unseen entities. So if they can, if they can clean your clock and, and, and deceive you, and you're warm in a pew feeling like you've got your brokering religion going on. Well, they don't care. They've got you right where they want you. And you're not going to do anything of real consequence for the Lord. You can think you are. Well, I'm giving to my church. Oh, good, you're giving, you're giving money to your apostate church. I'm sure God's going to bless that. Well, what, what are you giving for? So you can write it off on your taxes? Well, wow, didn't Jesus say, let, let not your right hand know what your left hand's doing? Hmm, I guess you've got to take care of that. What does Jesus say about when you give in that way? Well, verily you have your reward. You know, better than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, doing it before men. Well, that's not my motivation at all. Well, okay, maybe it's not. But if if you're sowing seed into corrupt ground, how can it bear good fruit? Even if that's not your motivation. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Say, you're given because you're really, whatever, you're given for, in your own mind, the right reason. But what if you're sowing into corrupt ground? That's a whole other subject. I'm not, we, we don't have time to get into that. But these temples, you go to these temples to be worshipped and not to worship. <laughs> Women would go to the temple to serve the goddess, to embody her, really to possess her. The goddess would possess the woman. This is how the devils manifested themselves and and. It's, it's how they manifested themselves through women, and this is like demon possession, okay? And I think if you're a temple prostitute, you, you we we have a good case for being demon possessed, okay? I mean, you know, that's about, about as bad as you could get. So women would go to the temple to serve the goddess, to embody her, to represent her, to be worshipped as her. Women would spend a day or a week or a year serving at the temple at as a priestess, as a sacred prostitute. As a whore in the service of the goddess. Now, this is what the, the pagans are saying. The, this is this isn't some Christian site that has bias, saying, "Well, you know, you're you're just this is just some Christian ranting." No, it's not. This is this is this is what the pagans. This is what the witches are saying. Not me. They're calling themselves a whore in the service of the goddess. But see. The Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Bible says that. Well, that's what they're doing. They're calling good evil and evil good. Well, Satan's always going to pervert. 
especially in these pagan religions. He's going to twist everything around. So it says, then, there, there, there they would be worshipped as the incarnation of the goddess, as the goddess herself. Oh, didn't that make them all feel high and lofty? She could go there and be a whore and be worshipped as a goddess. I mean, what's the downside there? <laughs> I'm tongue-in-cheek, of course, but it's, it's unbelievable. I, it's, it's hard for me not to be sarcastic about so much of this information. Men would come to her to be worshipped as well. Oh yeah, we got to include the men in. You know? Men would be welcomed and served by the priestess and men would represent the divine male principle. Well, isn't that special? The horned one, the sacred bull, the god. This is what the men would go there for. They got to be macho, you know. Men would come to the temple to give their love and passion to the goddess and would receive the passion, love, and affection of the goddess. I mean, this is a real hallmark moment, Doug. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm starting to get teary-eyed. Again, I may wax poetic any second. I mean, you know. <sighs> then it says, but some three millennia ago, there came monotheists. Oh, these wicked monotheists. Ones that said there's only one God. That's why they call them mono, one. There came monotheists who refused, to, who refused her worship, preferring instead to be diminished in body and spirit. They called her, quote, the whore of Babylon, who leads men into fornication. Well, isn't that what you just called them yourself? This pagan just said we're whores in the service of the goddess. What? I mean, I would think this would be a compliment to them. I mean, let's, 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 you know, let's be honest here. They called our sacred sexuality, quote, sin. And cast shame on her sacred priestess. Now, again, you may, you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with Easter? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Let's lay the foundation here. Okay, it's coming. <laughs> they called our sexual, sacred sexuality sin and cast shame on her sacred priestessness. They held up a virgin as the ideal that women should imitate instead of the sacred goddess. I mean, this is real, isn't this? this to me, this is very interesting because it's like, it's basically the truth. You get more truth on a pagan website than, than many times you get listening to a sermon. I got up this morning and I was greeted by a service from David Jeremiah about the seven stations of the cross on some mountain that over in Switzerland and, and how they <laughs> some Catholic thing he was preaching about on Easter. And this guy's calling himself a Christian? You know, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible to me. The deception, the rampant deception that is permeated through. And as the Bible says, my people love to have it so. The prophets prophesied lies and prophesied deceits, and my people love to have it so. That's all I can really think of anymore. Now, I will say this last week, the sermon that we, we did last week on Iran um, was just, the response was gigantic. I, I, I was overwhelmed with um, all of the downloads and, and so many um, people emailed me with, with kind comments and I, and I, I really, uh, that was really a blessing to me. Um, it was really overwhelming. 
and I praise the Lord for that. And and it does it's it really does um, other Christians well when they see that type of thing going as an encouragement. You know, it really was. It was wonderful. So I just wanted to thank thank you for that. Um, so it says we're getting back to this. Um, they held up a virgin as the ideal that women should imitate instead of the sacred goddess that always that has that had always held as the most sacred image of woman. By who? By the devil? Uh, I'm sorry, but you know that's not biblical. And then it ends by saying this is essentially the state of things in the modern world. Well, they're saying that this virgin is essentially that that that's the better way. That that uh, modern day religion is imposed on us. This is essentially the state of the things in the church. They're lamenting this that that they're venerating a virgin as opposed to a whore. Okay, but we're going to see all this ties together. <clears throat> Go, moving on, it says the two principal deities of ancient Babylon were Baal and Ishtar. Okay, now this is where the pagan religions really got their 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 beginning was when we get to Babylon. And this is why God had to split them up at the Tower of Babel. And and separate them into different people and nations and languages because, you know, they had all come together and they were united to, to do as much evil as they could do. So God had to split them apart. But the two principal deities of Babylon were Baal and Ishtar. Baal was the god of war. And the elements... And the elements. And Ishtar was the goddess of fertility. Okay, now remember, we're talking about the Temple of Ishtar. Both human and agricultural. This is fertility in regard to human and agricultural. So we see a lot of these spring pagan festivals, and unfortunately a lot of farmers have done this throughout the ages in America, like in Farmer's Almanac and stuff like that, where they actually implement pagan practices into farming and stuff like this. And it's witchcraft. Okay? And that's a whole other subject we don't have time to go into today, but it's there. Uh, these two deities have roots going back before Babylon to Nimrod at Babel and to Assyria. Through the ages, they were imported into the nations in other different names, but always retaining the same basic characteristics. Baal was also called Bel, Balat, Molech, Merodach, Mars, and Jupiter, and was frequently represented as a bull. Ishtar was also called Aphrodite, Astarte, Ashtaroth, Cybele, Sybil, Hecate, Diana, remember Diana the Ephesians in the Bible? Europa, Isis, Semiramis, who was Semiramis? Semiramis was the um, wife of Nimrod. Okay? And she had an illegitimate son named Tammuz and, and said he was the reincarnated of reincarnation of Nimrod. Okay, this is where we're really going back. So Ishtar was known by all these names and Venus. Now currently she's also known as the Roman Catholic Virgin Mary goddess. Virgin Mary goddess. Where show I got it. I just haven't found it, Doug. I haven't found where we're supposed to worship the Virgin Mary. I just can't find that in my Bible. You know? Bible says there's one Mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not two. We don't have to go through Mary and Jesus like the Catholics are saying. Well, these Marian apparitions that are that are taking place all over the world, she's basically saying you got to go through me. Well, she's a lying devil. That's all, all it is. These Marian apparitions. And again, that's a whole other subject, but it, it is tied in with this. So, all this is is repackaged um, devil worship. You can call her 
all these different names. It doesn't matter if you call Ishtar Aphrodite, Astarte, Astaroth, Semiramis, Venus, Europa, Hecate, Diana, or the Roman Catholic uh, Virgin Mary goddess. They're all the same thing. They're all, it's all the same spirit emanating and operating through these things. Okay? The two main elements in the worship of Baal were fire and human sacrifice, usually children. Now, this is what the witches are saying. I'm not saying this. This is not, there's, there's no Christian bias here with what I'm reading you whatsoever. Ishtar was worshipped via offerings of produce and money, as well as through fornication with temple prostitutes. That's how Ishtar was worshipped. Oh, my, my, my. Offerings of produce and money, as well as fornication with temple prostitutes. I guarantee you, these temple prostitutes are coming back. When it gets, when it gets to the end, I believe we're going to have them back. In the so-called pseudo-church. They're, they're going to be justifying everything at that point. It is this last characteristic, the fornication with temple prostitutes, that helps make the tie between religious Babylon and the kings and merchants. In the book, The Secret of Crete, H.G. Wonderlinch reports that before marriage, every woman in Babylon was required to go to the temple of Ishtar and lie with a stranger. We have a similar report from Gerhard Herm in his book, The Phoenicians, where women in the Canaanite cities of Tyre and Sidon and Byblos were required to become prostitutes for a day and give themselves to foreign guests during the spring festival. Now we're seeing what, what, is, what is tied in with this whole worship of Ishtar. This festival survives today in the name of Easter, which is derived from the word Ishtar. Now this is a pagan site saying this is the, this is the root, so we're going to confirm this other ways as well. Now Ostara is one of the lesser Wiccan Sabbaths. Wiccan. What is Wiccan? Wiccan, when you think of Wiccan, you think of um, white witchcraft. The word Wiccan means twisted or bent. Because if you're a witch, you're twisted and you're bent. You're perverted. This is known as a Wiccan Sabbat. A Sabbat is a, is a, uh, a religious holiday for witches. Or for people that involve, are involved with paganism. That's what they're, they're, they call them Sabbats. Okay? But this is a lesser of the Wiccan Sabbats, and is usually celebrated on the vernal or spring equinox right around March 21st. Now, this is Ostara. This is not Easter. Okay? Now, the reason I'm getting into Ostara is because what I'm going to say here right now. Easter is determined as the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. So, see, we actually have to... Um, the pagan holiday, the Lesser Wiccan Sabbath of Ostara, is celebrated on the vernal or spring equinox, right around March 21st. Easter is determined as the first Sunday after this. Okay, so that's how we have to determine Easter. And it's different every year. The date is different every year. If this was truly the date of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why would it change every year? Why would we have to use astrology to figure it out? Even the Catholic Church admits that we have to use astrology to figure it out. And they've done it for hundreds of years. Because you have to know when Ostara falls, you have to know when the vernal spring equinox is, which is around March 21st, to determine when you're going to celebrate Easter. 
which is which is which you celebrate that after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. So it's it's astrology. It's forbidden in the Bible. This is witchcraft. So the very basis of determining the holidays determined through witchcraft. Isn't that great? Well, we, we could still put a Christian veneer on it and go there and feel all good with our bull cream religion. Wish you can do whatever you want, I guess. And the Bible says in, in Proverbs 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. See, we're all clean in our own eyes. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm basically good. You know how many times I've heard that? I don't know. I just Personally, I just don't feel that way about myself. I don't. I feel like what I deserve is death. I really do. I, I don't feel like, like I'm a good person com- compared, to, compared to the righteousness of Christ. Now, I praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ that has sanctified me and set me apart and justified me, you know. But it's only through Him. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, I am nothing. Jesus said in John 15, He says, I am the vine near the branches. Apart from me, ye can do nothing. The only thing I can really do apart from Jesus Christ is fail. That's about it, I think. Um, so, it's just unbelievable what, what goes on here. Now, the vernal equinox. What is this vernal equinox that I was talking about? Because I want to define these terms so that there's no question about what we're dealing with here. Vernal means appearing or occurring in spring. That's what the word vernal means. Equinox points to the time when the sun crosses the planet's equator. When this occurs, night and day are are of equal length in all parts of the earth for that day. The vernal equinox occurs on or about March 21st. This day was significant for pagan sun worshippers because it marked the point where they believed the sun had been fully resurrected resurrected from the dead during the winter solstice. This, this of course, is one of the other, other pagan festivals known as Christmas. Okay, which is, you know, we've... We've done. I've done a whole sermon on that as well. I've got a lot of sermons. I still need to get up on sermonaudio.com, but it'll, it'll get up there eventually. So uh, hopefully now we have a um, an understanding now of how we determine Easter when it is. What means the term Easter itself? It is not a Christian name. It bears the Chaldean origin on its very foot. Now I should preface this. This is a quote. What I just started reading is a quote from one of the, you know, the greatest books of all time in, in uh, Christianity, called The Two Babylons, by Alexander Hyssop. Um, this was published in um, 1943 and 1959, and this is a quote from page 103, okay? What means the term Easter itself? It is not a Christian name. It bears the Chaldean origin on its very forehead. Easter is nothing else than a starte. One of the titles of Beltis, the Queen of Heaven. Oh me, the Queen of Heaven. The Virgin Mary. Now again, we've talked about the Queen of Heaven. What are the Virgin Mary apparitions calling her? What are one of the things she's calling herself? The Queen of Heaven. And I've got a whole, if you doubt this, there's, there's a book on Marian, the, the Marian apparitions. Uh, you can get it on, uh, I believe David Bay's website has it. And, um, and, and I had an email this week, I should say, from, from somebody that was saying, you know, why don't I provide disclaimers on, and I, I just told her, I said, listen, I said, um, it would be almost impossible for me 
to pose disclaimers on every single reference that I give out. I, I, there's just no way I can police it all. What we have to do as Christians is be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to be in the word so that when we see something that, that doesn't line up with the word of God, we can glean from these sites and move on. See, what I'm doing right now is the ultimate example of that because I'm gleaning from a witchcraft site. I, I mean, it's, it goes without saying to put a disclaimer up. Well, don't, don't believe this. Well, I, that's, that's, a, that's how we're proving our whole point. It's, it would be so hard for me to do that. Um, and I know there's times that, that, that it can be done, but, it, but, it's, but it's hard. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to be like the Bereans. We need to be searching the Word of God out daily to see that these things be true. And, and um, when you know the truth, then it's easier, much, much easier to spot a lie. Because you have the truth to compare it to. The truth is your foundation. The truth is your anvil. And anything that doesn't stand up to the anvil and, and, and breaks on the anvil, well then it wasn't truth. Okay, so that's how we have to kind of look at these things. Um, so anyway, it says, um, uh, Alexander Hyssop, this quote, Easter is nothing else than Astarte, one of the titles of Beltus, the Queen of Heaven. Now, where do we hear about the Queen of Heaven in the Bible? There's five verses in the Bible. I'm not going to read them all, I'm just going to read one. But there's five verses in the Bible, most of them are in Jeremiah, in regard to the Queen of Heaven, where they use that term specifically. Now, Jeremiah 7 says, the children, Jeremiah 7.18 says, The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough. Hmm, the women knead their dough. We're going to talk about that right now. This is amazing. To make cakes to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Now, what is Jeremiah 7 about? Jeremiah 7, and Jeremiah 14, and Jeremiah 11. I, I would encourage you to get in there and read those. We don't have time to get into it today. But basically, in those chapters, the abominations that the people of Israel had committed were so great that God got to the point in, in those chapters where he said, don't even pray for this pre people because I will not even hear your prayer. Rarely does God ever say that in the Bible. Where don't, He says, don't pray for this people. I will not hear you. Their fate is sealed. It only says it one time in the, in the New Testament. That's 1 John chapter 5. Where it talks about the sin and the death. And that we're not supposed to pray for it. Okay. And again, I've done studies on this before. And I'll, I'll get those sermons up um, when I can. But... This is something that's obviously very grievous to God. If this is part of the whole thing where God said he was so angry with this with see what the Jews were doing is that they were they were they were in this false religion and they were putting the veneer of at the time good Jewish Levitical godly worshiping, okay? At the time in the Old Testament that was the way they were supposed to do it. And it said in the Bible, in, those, in one of the chapters, I think it was Jeremiah 7, it says that we are delivered to do these things. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and just read that real quick. Because I think that, that has a lot to do with, with this whole thing of Easter. Because this is a, it, it's, it's under the guise of a religious holiday. Um, I'm just going to read bits and pieces of Jeremiah 7 that lead up to this verse that I just read. God says to them in verse 4, Trust ye not in lying words. Okay, this is what they were doing in other words. They were trusting in lying words. For if you thoroughly amend your ways, and if you, 
in your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods do you hurt. Now this is all things they were they were doing. They they they, they were um they really weren't doing. It says in verse 7, Then I will cause you to dwell in this place and in the land, and I gave you your fathers forever and ever. So God's trying to plead with them. But then in verse 8 it says, Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Again, he says this again. They're, they're trusting in lying words. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? See, this is what happens when you trust in lying words. You do these types of things. These types of things become part of you, and you don't see anything wrong with them. You get blinded. Verse 10, And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name. Okay, this is the house of God. This is the, this is the, the temple of God in the Old Testament. And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do these abominations. How different is that than celebrating Ishtar, Easter, in the churches today? People go there in their nice little Easter uh, dress up, their Sunday's best, and do all their little pagan things outside and inside, and they go there, and a lot of times it's the only time you ever see them the whole year. But they say, we are delivered to do these abominations. We, you know, hey, I, I feel I got a little bit of religion for the year. It's good enough. We're delivered to do these things. As though God wants this, this little table scrap from your life that you're willing to throw Him on one or two days out of the year. What an abomination. It would be better for you not to even go. Don't even go. And then it goes down here. Um, verse 14, Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight. That's what's coming to the church. This is what's coming to the church. Well, how do you know? Because the Bible says God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. If he judged them, he's going to judge the church here in America. He's got to. It says, I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Oh, we're, we're basically there, right now. I'll be honest with you, it's getting harder and harder for me to have compassion on, on the apostate lukewarm church. Maybe this is why. Because there is a time, there will come a time in your life in regard to any situation that you're dealing with, with any person, where you may lose that conviction. Now, I'm not, you know, if you're losing it for the wrong reason, because you want vengeance, or because you've got a bone to pick, or because you have a root of bitterness in you, now that's not the right reason not to pray for somebody. Because the Bible says the root of, root of bitterness springeth up and defileth many. No, 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 that's not the right reason. I'm talking if you had forgiven that person, and, and, and you were right with the Lord, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, man, I just, I'm sorry, God, I just don't have the conviction to even pray. Maybe it's because this, this dynamic is taking place. If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, He can convict you of these things. So, I mean, again, I don't want to be super dogmatic about that, but there is a spiritual principle we're examining here. And then, and then it says in verse 18, And the children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make the cakes to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods. So it's not only the Queen of Heaven, it's other gods too. And he had already mentioned Baal here. That they may provoke me to anger. All they're doing, these people going to the churches, 
these apostate churches, these 501c3 corporations, with the pastor as the CEO, and the board of deacons as the directors, and that's how the corporate structure is set up in 99.9% of all churches. Don't kid yourself. It is. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, they're provoking them to anger. They're provoking God to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, say the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to confusion of their own faces? Maybe this is why they're so confused. Well, God is not the author of confusion. The Bible says that. But see, these people are confused. It's the strong delusion that God said he was going to send in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said he was going to send it. Why? That they would believe a lot. That they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth. This is why it's so important what you're embracing in your life. Are you, embar- are you embracing truth or are you embracing a lie? Because if you're not embracing truth, there's a really stern warning in the Bible. If you reject truth in Hosea 4.6, it says he will also reject you. And you're not going to be a priest to him no more. And he's also going to reject your children. Hosea 4. Now I understand, we're not living in the Old Testament dispensation, but there again is a spiritual principle there to take heed of. So, um, anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that with this. But, but, um, uh, this quote from Hyssop, he goes on to say, um, this queen of heaven, whose name is pronounced by the people of Nineveh, was evidently identical with that now in use in this country. That name, as found by Layard on the Assyrian monuments, was Ishtar. So in other words, Easter, which is associated with the, the uh, goddess Astarte, Beltis, the queen of heaven, is is derived from the word Ishtar. Okay, so this is why we call it Easter. Okay, we just talked about the Temple of Ishtar. So how this is all tied together. The history of the hot cross bun goes back to the Babylonian Queen of Heaven, Ishtar. What we just quoted here. They bake, they bake cakes to the Queen of Heaven? Huh, what is that about? Well, the history of this hot cross bun goes back to the... You know, I had never saw one of those before. I walked into Publix the other day, and I looked over in the bakery section, and I saw these buns with cross... I'm like, what is that? That's a hot cross bun! I didn't... (laughs) I didn't know! I never saw one! I never saw one! So yeah, yeah, the Catholics can go there and, and, you know, get their hot cross buns, I guess. This is, this is, this is no different... See, these traditions that we have... In all of these these pseudo-Christian pagan religions, they all have roots. And they're all evil. Every one of them. I don't know one that's good. Even ones that, that's, that claim, well, this is, like they say about Jesus, well, the egg is symbolic of Jesus rising from the dead, or whatever, his resurrection power as he bursts forth from the tomb, and that's like the egg. Give me a break. We're going to look at what the egg is really about. You can candy coat it all day want. You can try to put a Christian veneer on. It doesn't make it not evil. It's still evil. It's still an abomination in God's eyes. So it says... The history of the hot cross bun goes back to the Babylonian queen of heaven, Ishtar, and references made to it in Jeremiah 7.18, which is what we just read, which talks about making cakes to the queen of heaven. The Hebrew word for cakes is kaven, which is also translated as buns. 
So, there we go. You can say, well, cakes aren't the same as buns. Well, it's this, this, the same Hebrew word can be translated either way. So, sorry, you're, you're wrong on that one too, if that's what you believed. At Athens, about 1,500 years before Christ, these buns, or sacred bread, were used in the worship of the goddess. They were called born which is probably how we got bun, partly. Egyptians made buns instead with two horns in honor of the moon goddess. Isn't that nice? A little bun with two horns sticking out of it. Here's your devil bun. Anybody want some hot devil buns? Well, these devil buns are great. you got to try them, Phil. Okay, sure. I mean, what? This is unbelievable. So the, the Egyptians made these things with two horns in honor of the moon goddess. Now, I think the reason... You'd say, well, what does the moon have to do with two horns? Well, when you see... Look at the um, Muslim Islamic flag, where it's a green flag, where it has the crescent moon and the star in it. Well, the crescent moon looks like, if you look at the end, it's like two horns. Now, that is symbolic of the female deity, Semiramis. And the star in the middle is symbolic of the male um, deity of, um, like, Nimrod. Or Tammuz, or whatever you want. It, it, you can, you can. It's all interchangeable, pretty much. It's, it's like, you know, interchangeable religion. You can just swap names out. It still means the same thing. Uh, so Egyptians made buns inscribed with two horns in honor of the moon goddess, and the Greeks changed it to a cross. Well, oh, good. We have finally we have a Christian veneer, so we can justify it. That's what all they're doing. We'll put it. We'll slap a Christian veneer on, it so everybody can justify it and feel all good and, and warm and fuzzy. And it's still an abomination to the sight of God. In fact, it's more of an abomination. I think it's better to be a, a practicing witch and at least be honest about what you're doing than be a lukewarm Christian and go to church and put and, and celebrate paganism with some Christian veneer and still... I don't know. I mean, to me, it's more of an abomination If I, looking at it that way. And I think you read Revelation 3 and I think God would agree with that. Um, the Anglo-Saxons made the buns with a cross on them in honor of their goddess of light. Now that quote was from Controlled by the Calendar, page 49. It's, it's, it's a book that's been written on these traditions. The 11th edition of Encyclopedia Britannica, there, in their Easter article, it states, quote, now this is Encyclopedia Britannica, quote, there is no indication of the observance of Easter festival in the New Testament. Amen! Amen! or in the writings of the Apostolic Church Fathers. Now, you can say, well, of course Jesus didn't celebrate it because he wasn't even dead yet. He wasn't even resurrected. You know, he, he hadn't went to the cross. Well, why didn't the Apostolic Church Fathers celebrate it then afterward? Why didn't they do it then? They didn't. The ecclesiastical historian Socrates is quoted in the same article as he points out that neither the Lord nor his apostles enjoined in keeping of this day. In other words, this day was around. If it was totally associated with Jesus, how could it be around before he was resurrected? If that's what it's all about. I mean, isn't that reasonable? Come let us reason together, say the Lord. This stinking holiday was already there. This pagan holiday has been around since Babylon. But we want to put a Christian veneer on it and make ourselves feel great. He says, okay, um, Socrates says, quote, the apostles had no thought of appointing festival days, but of promoting a life of blamelessness and piety. Now this is Socrates. This is even, even this Socrates guy, who wasn't even a Christian, basically said this. 
He even knew this, that the apostles um, didn't uh, had no thought of appointing a festival, had no thought of appointing festival days, but of promoting a life of blamelessness and piety. End of quote. He attributes the, observ- the observance of Easter by the church to the perpetual to the perpetuation of the old usage. Quote, just as many other customs have been established. End of quote. Early church reformers such as Calvin and Knox protested strongly against Easter because of its pagan origins. Okay, they knew this. And, and I mean, they weren't exactly, you know, we could go into that too, but even they knew. Observance of the holiday was not widely celebrated in America until after the Civil War. It wasn't even celebrated here until after, and really neither was Christmas. If the truth be known. Now that quote was from Easter, its story and its meaning by Alan Watts. Um, Easter has long been known to be a Roman Catholic festival. Pagan festival. America's founders knew this. A children's book about the holiday called Easter Parade, Welcoming Sweet Spring Time, by Steve Elgert, page 4, says, quote, When the Puritans came to North America, they regarded the celebration of Easter and the celebration of Christmas with suspicion. They knew that pagans had celebrated the return of spring long before Christians ever celebrated Easter. For the first 200 years of European life in North America, only a few states, mostly in the South, paid much attention to Easter. Not until after the Civil War did Americans begin celebrating this holiday. Easter first became an American tradition in the 1870s. This is on page 5. The original 13 colonies of America began as a Christian nation with the cry, No King but King Jesus. End of quote. The nation did not observe Easter within an entire century of its founding. Okay, so again, why, what's, why are we doing it now? Notice this conclusive report from Microsoft and Carta Multimedia Encyclopedia. Quote, Ishtar was the great mother, the goddess of fertility, and the queen of heaven. So in actuality, Ashtaroth, which is another name for Ishtar, was Nimrod's harlotrous mother, wife, widow. Semiramis, as many other ancient historians attest, Oh, or, or also known as Semiramis, Ishtar. And again, this is, these are inter- interchangeable pagan deities. Easter is now established as none other than the Ashtaroth of the Bible. Or Astarte. Man, that's a rabbit trail I'm tempted to go down right now, but, but I, I'm not going to get through this if I do that. So. Um, so we can now examine the scriptures that show how God views the worship of the pagan goddess by any name. God calls Easter evil. Um, so we know that Easter, Ishtar, Ashtaroth are all the same things. Okay, And, and again, there's way more many names. We said them earlier. Judges 2.11 and 13 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Okay, what were the two primary deities of ancient Babylon? Which is basically where all of our pagan religions stem from. Baal. And Ashtaroth. What is another name for Ashtaroth? Ishtar. Where do we get the word Easter? From Ishtar. Okay, so I don't mean to, to hammer away at this so much, but I want to prove that point with a shadow of the doubt. First Samuel 7, 3-4 says, Put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and serve the Lord only. See, these were the two main pagan deities that evidently there was this temptation to worship them. I don't really understand that, but evidently it was a temptation. 
Now I'm going to read another quote from this answers, AnsweringCatholicism.com in regard to Easter. Quote, if this evil celebration had anything to do with the resurrection of Christ, and again, I've touched on this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. If this evil celebration had anything to do with the resurrection of Christ, it would be a fixed, it would be on an affixed date each year. Yet every single year, the date of Easter changes. How, I ask, can that represent the Lord's resurrection? It wouldn't have changed. It would have been the same day every year. It's no different than saying I was born on January 1st, but every year I will celebrate my birthday in accordance with how the moon orbits the planet. <laughs> Isn't that asinine? But that's what we're doing with Easter. We're doing no different. Can you imagine celebrating your, your birthday, Doug, on, on... Well, let's wait until the uh, vernal equinox happens, and we'll, we'll do it after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. Sounds pretty scientific to me. I mean, you, you, I mean what are you trying to, to, uh, to get committed to an insane asylum? Because that's what it would sound like, you know? A birthday is a birthday is a birthday, okay? If, a, if something happened on a given day, it's not going to alternate and change. Therefore, my birthday would never be the same date from year to year. Sounds ludicrous, right? Yet people still think Easter commemorates the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The true gift of Babylon is confusion. Maybe that's why they call it the Tower of Babel. Why they call it the Tower of Babel? Because, he, because all the people were babbling in different languages that they didn't understand because God had come down and done this to them. The true gift of Babylon is confusion. And sadly, Christians the world over are very happy to embrace this confusion of Roman Catholicism as if it, as if it is some time-honored, acceptable practice the Creator Himself approves of. Why do people grasp at the gray areas instead of looking upon the simple truth? It's so black and white for those that simply open their eyes to see. End of quote. And it's, it is. I mean, this is... We've just, we could stop right now, and I think we've proven the point. i got plenty more. Of, of the different various aspects of this. Easter Sunday, now here, now, okay, so how did this get in the church? Now we're going to look at that. Okay. Easter Sunday was formally recognized by the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. The first Council of Nicaea was held in Nicaea, Bithynia, or in present-day Turkey. And it convoked, it convoked by the Emperor, Roman Emperor Constantine I, in 13, in 325, and was the first ecumenical conference of bishops of the Roman Catholic Church. This is, this is when the Roman Catholic Church, as it is officially known today, got started. Okay? Now, um, and, so, and then this, this Council of Nicaea most significantly resulted in the first uniform Catholic doctrine called the Nicene Creed. Okay, now again, we could go down a lot of rabbit trails here, and I was a little bit tempted to, but I, 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 we don't have time to get into all this. But, this was when the Catholic Church first came into being, and what had happened is, is in um, uh, 1318, Constantine became the, the uh, uh, basically they refer to him as the first pope, okay? What he did is, is as an emissary of the Roman, uh, I guess you would call it the Roman Empire, came and said, listen guys, he, he said to the, uh, the Christians, you know, I know we've been martyring you for all these years. We've been killing you in droves and stuff. And, and, and you know, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to offer you a deal. And basically, we're going to let you come out and practice your religion freely. Um, you, we want you to amalgamate with us to make it official. And, um, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give in. 
you know. Now, what had been happening is they'd been martyring these people, and they found out the more they martyred them, the bigger Christianity grew. So Satan had to come in with another tactic, because the one tactic wasn't working. Martyrdom. All the church was doing was growing bigger and bigger. So what he came in to do, he came in with leaven, which is exactly what he did in Genesis. Came in with leaven, Genesis 3. Yea, hath God said. Let's, let's, let's start to leaven this lump of Christianity. And basically what he did is he took the pagan holidays that they had been celebrating in Romanism all along. He took all of them and he candy-coated them with like a Christian veneer. Started, they started doing that, I should say. And, and amal- started amalgamating this into the Roman Catholic religion. Okay? This is what we owe Constantine for. He was not a great man of God. He probably was the first pope, I guess. But anyway, um, this happened in 1325. The Easter Sunday was formally recognized. But see, up until that point, it had not been recognized. Now, granted, who cares if the Catholics recognize it? I could care less. They're not Christians. But if you watch any of these programs, like National Geographic Explorer, Discovery Channel, Discovery Channel, they are putting on the biggest, gigantic, most frontal assault on the, on the deity of Jesus Christ. They're calling into question everything about this. And you know what they always, always do on these shows? They always refer to the Catholics as the Christians. Always. There's no distinction whatsoever made. To call uh, a, a Catholic a Christian is like calling a pagan a true Bible-believing Christian. It's not. It is not. Either you are or you're not. And they are not. It's a Christian veneer. It's a false veneer. And I believe it's, it's, it's a higher abomination in God's eyes than just being a flat old pagan. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit further. What about this Ash Wednesday thing? The first day of Lent... As an act, now again, we get all this from the from the Catholic religion. The first day of Lent, as an act of penance, um, as a day of penance, uh, palms saved from the previous year, Palm Sunday, are burned to ashes and placed in the shape of a cross on the individual's forehead of the state. This is how we get. So we have from Palm Sunday from the year before. They take the ashes of these palms that they burned. How pagan can you get? And then they, they make this sign of the cross on their forehead. This is Ash Wednesday. If you ever see Catholic, if you ever see Catholics walk around on a Wednesday with a, with a big um, uh, ash cross on their head, I've seen this before. It's really weird when you see it. It's like, whoa, what's that? Did you play in the fireplace or something? You get all messed up there? What's what's wrong with you? You know. <laughs> Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I was I was with a patient came in, and they had, in fact, I had several patients that day, and I finally figured it out, you know. But yeah, that that that's in the new. T- what 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 book is that? Lunetta uh, is that, is that the Gospel of Thomas or the uh, the Gospel of uh, Judas Iscariot? Well, see, they got all these new books coming out now. The Bible that all all these documentaries are going. Oh yes. One yesterday, the Gospel of Thomas. Well, did you did you know, Lisa, that in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus was actually went to go live with the Tibetan monks or whatever they did, and, and he learned all of his, um, all of his, uh, got all of his powers and derived all of his miracle-producing working powers from the Magi, from 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 these uh, from these Buddhist monks or whatever he did live with in the mountains of Tibet prior to him starting his ministry. This is all the. 
I mean, you know right there alone that it's a total lie. Because why would Thomas write something that's a total, absolute, unequivocal lie? He was one of the apostles. I understand he was doubting Thomas. Okay, but the fact remains is, is he finally did get it right. You know, in the end. So, we've got all these books now coming out that supposedly are being found. And again, it's part of the strong delusion that God said he was going to send. Now, um, a 40-day period of penance and... Now, what is Lent? Okay? A 40-day period of um, penance and prayer instituted by the Roman Catholic Church. And I always thought it was that stuff that you get out of the dryer after the clothes have dried. Oh, no, no, that's lint. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Lost control. See how things get twisted when you get your, your words messed up? Anyway, a little levity I'm interjecting in there. But lint is a 40-day period of penance and prayer instituted by the Roman Catholic Church, which begins on Ash Wednesday. So, see, this is where lint begins. Now, again, why are we saying all this? What does this have to do with Easter? Well, Lent is the 40-day period, starts on Ash Wednesday, and prepares for the celebration of Easter. See, this is, all of these other holidays are totally being done in order to build up to Easter. This doesn't even happen at Christmas time, if you think about it. So actually, there's more overall total heresy and paganism and abomination going on during Easter than any other time of the year. Though previously lasting less than a week, during the 7th century it came to represent 40 days. One day for every year of Tammuz's life. Well, what do you mean, Tammuz's life? Okay, here's the deal. Tammuz, which was this illegitimate son born to Samaritanus in ancient Babylon, was not as much of a mighty hunter as his dad Nimrod was. The Bible says that Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Okay. Tammuz, on his 40th birthday, was killed by a wild boar. A hog, a pig. Okay? The 40 days of Lent is one year for every life that Tammuz lived. That's why we have 40 days. Why do we eat ham at the end of Lent? To celebrate the commemoration and, 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 the, and we, we want to kill this, this mean old hog that killed Tammuz. That's why we eat, that's why they eat ham on Easter. The Easter ham? That's why! <laughs> I'm not making this up! It's real! The word Lent comes from the Old English lectin, which means spring, created by the Catholic Church around 525, under the guidance of Abbot Dionysius the Little. He was only about yay high. No, just kidding, sorry. The observance is not found, he's like Bildad the Shuhite in the Bible. Shortest man in the Bible, Bildad the shoe height. In the book of Job, he was only the height of a shoe. Sorry. Anyway, um, the observance is not found in the Bible. So it was not recognized by Jesus, the apostles, or the early Christian church. So it's not found in the Bible. Lent is not found in the Bible. And it wasn't recognized by Jesus, the apostles, or the early Christian church. Okay, so again... Isn't that where a foundation should be? Like, what was Jesus doing? What were the apostles doing? Shouldn't we, like, want to emulate that? Well, it's not happening today, but... This period of abstinence actually originated in Babylon. Now, this is about Lent. This abstinence, okay? Because in Lent, you're supposed to give up something. You ever hear, I gave it up for Lent? I use that as a joke all the time. I can't help it. I just... I can't help but be sarcastic about these subjects because if you're not... If you don't have a little bit of... 
interject a little bit of levity in this, I think it'd drive you crazy because you get so serious about everything and so stoic, and it would be just pure negativity. Um, so the spirit of abstinence originated in Babylon is a preliminary to the annual day that honored the death and resurrection of Tammuz. Okay, again, there's, there's no debate or contention here. This is what it was for. And later was observed in Egypt to honor Osiris, the son of Isis, who is the counterpart of Tammuz. When Nimrod died, he was made the sun god. Semiramis then had an illegitimate son called Tammuz, who she proclaimed to be the son of Nimrod. She said that he was the promised seed of the woman. From Genesis 3.15. Oh, isn't that nice? And demanded that both her and Tammuz be worshipped. He became symbolized by the golden calf. Well, what did the Jews build after they came out of Egypt? The golden calf. Symbolic of Tammuz. Where did they just come out of? Egypt? You think they might have picked up some bad religious practices? Well, the Bible says, come out, Wherefore come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Well, what happens when you yoke up and, and, you, and you're in this environment where you're in, among pagans? It's going to affect you. And it affected the, the Israelites. So they built a golden calf, which is symbolic of Tammuz. Um, Semiramis became known as the Queen of Heaven and was the prototype from which all the other pagan goddesses came. The same with Tammuz and Nimrod. Her representation can be seen in the Roman Catholic Church's Worship of Mary who is called the Mother of the Church, the Queen of Heaven and of Earth, the Queen of the Universe. These titles cannot refer to Mary, the Mother of Jesus, because nowhere in the Bible does it talk about Mary's role in such a way. Again, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not Mary, not Paul, not any of the other apostles. Doesn't happen. Sorry. According to Babylonian tradition, when Tammuz was killed... His mother cried so much that he came back to life. Wow, I didn't know that worked. <laughs> That's pretty amazing stuff. You know, just cry enough and cry me a river. That's where the song came from, probably. Cry me a river. Sorry. Anyway, the manifestation of this was the rebirth and blooming of all vegetation in the spring. See, the goddess manifested herself by rebirthing and blooming in the spring. This is, this is symbolic of of basically Tammuz coming back to life. Which came to symbolize his resurrection. Tammuz's resurrection. Ah, I see. Not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Tammuz. And why Tammuz is honored in the spring. Very similar, the story of the ancient writings of the Sumerians in Mesopotamia, which said that Tammuz was married to the goddess Ishtar, the mother goddess. That's pretty sick. He's married to his own mom. Mm. That's not perverse or anything. No. No. That's not ungodly. I mean, come on. Ezekiel 8, 12-13 says, talks about women weeping for Tammuz. Oh my! So we have some biblical confirmation here as well. And this actually refers to what became as the 40-day Lenten period. Now this, again, this quote I just read was, was from a book called Control by the Calendar, page 46 and 47. So, this is where we got Lent from. From Ezekiel 8, 13 through 14. This is where we had... Well, let's read it. Ezekiel 8, 13 and 14 says, And he said unto me, Turn thee yet again. Now, he's talking to Ezekiel here. God is talking to Ezekiel. He's showing him all the abominations that are going on in the house of God at that time. And, he, and God says to Ezekiel, He says... 
Turn ye that again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat woman weeping for Tammuz. This is where we get the 40 day of, this is where we get the Lentian, the Lent period. They weep for Tammuz, these women. Why? Because he was killed. He was killed by this wild boar. So these women are there weeping. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. Um, okay, now hold on. I don't know if I want to read that one yet. Because that's... Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in a second. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Now, according to Johannes Cassanius, who wrote in the 5th century... Quote, how about you should know that as long as the primitive church retained its perfection unbroken, this observance of Lent did not exist. End of quote. Now this is from the first conference, Abbot Theonis, chapter 30. Here's another quote from the Sabean researchers, John Lasner, page 11, page 111. A 40-day abstinence period was anciently observed to honor the pagan gods Osiris, Adonis, and Tammuz. Okay, this has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Here's another quote from Alexander Hyssop's Two Babylons, page 104-105. The 40 days abstinence of Lent was directly borrowed from the worshippers of the Babylonian goddess. Such a Lent of 40 days in the spring of the year is still observed by the Yadizas, or pagan devil worshippers, who have inherited it from their early masters, the Babylonians. See, this all goes all the way back to Babylonian. Uh, the, the Babylonian mystery religions. Such a Lent of 40 days was held in spring by the pagan Mexicans. Such a Lent of 40 days was observed in Egypt. And he goes on and on. Okay, so again, uh, hopefully we've established this. Now, let's talk about Ishtar sunrise service, which a lot of us have, have um, already attended today. A lot of people in America, they've jumped the gun. Hey, they already, they're already there, man. I know, I was kicking myself today when I woke up and for the... Well, what am I? I'm 37. For the 37th year in a row, I missed Ishtar Sunrise Service. I'm just kicking myself. I'm just plain lazy. That's my problem. I'm lazy. I don't want to get up so early and have go to my Ishtar Sunrise Service. So let's talk about this Sunrise Service. This too was an aspect of the old pagan customs associated with sun worship. Though the custom no longer celebrates the rising of the sun among Christians, God does condemn this type of service from which it was derived. Ezekiel 8.16 uh, and we're going to read that. Many years after the Christ's death, the Catholic Church began to associate the tradition with Christ's supposed early morning resurrection in an apparent effort to compromise with their new converts' pr previously religiously held traditions. Okay, so let's look at this again, too. Um, the sunrise service, this has been an aspect of, the, the quote, the old religions the, the, of witchcraft for... And it has to do with sun worship. And I mean S-U-N sun, not, not, not the Son of God. Um, and God condemns this in Ezekiel 8.16, which we're going to read here in a second. Uh, so many years after Christ's death, the Catholic Church began to associate the tradition with Christ's supposed early morning resurrection in an apparent effort to compromise with their new converts previously held religious traditions. 
And again, what Constantine had to do is try to find some way to placate the pagans and the Christians at the same time. So what he did is he candy coated and he put this Christian veneer on all these pagan holidays. This is where it all started. Yet when the ladies came to Christ's tomb early Sunday morning, he, the son, S-O-N, wasn't there. So see, when you go to an Easter sunrise service, and you're, and you're there worshiping the sun, S-U-N, if you think about it, if you even try to, if you even try to equate that with the Son of God, when, when, the, when the women went to the empty tomb, the sun, it wasn't there. Yet the sun is rising in the sky and they're worshiping the sun, but the Son of God wasn't there when they went to the tomb. So right there alone, you have to kind of say, well, I mean, if you were doing that and you hadn't figured it out, think about it that way. The Jews during the same t- during the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel had blended sun worship with the worship of God. As we can see in the scriptural references in regard to the Queen of Heaven, um, so we've already read that verse. Ezekiel 8, 15-16 talks about men standing with their backs to the temple of God, facing the east, the worshipping of the sun. That's the way you're going to stand if you're, if you're going to worship the sun. You're going to have a good Easter sunrise service. You're not going to face toward the west, because the sun sets in the west. But see, you got to understand, sun worship was one of the main, main, main tenets of the Babylonian mystery religion associated with, with Baal. And um, it was, they, they revered and worshipped the sun. You know, instead of the god that made the sun. Why, why, why go to the elements? Why to go to the weak and beggarly elements when you can go right to the throne of God? It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, man in his infinite wisdom always wants to have it his way. He wants his Burger King religion. I want to have it now, and I want to have it my way, and I want to have it fast. And I want to feel good about myself at the same time. Well, you know, these people felt religious, just like the people going to church nowadays. They feel religious. Um, but religion, most of the time, will just take you straight to hell. That's the problem. Let's read Ezekiel 8, 15-16. Quote, Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Now we just talked about them weeping for Tammuz. Now this is the next part of that verse. Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. So he views this as even greater abomination than weeping for Tammuz. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. So we're going further in now. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, twenty-five men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worship the sun S-U-N not S-O-N they worship the sun toward the east now that's a pretty big abomination in God's eyes according to the word of God well what does Albert Pike have to say about all this Doug? let's, let's, let's let Albert Pike weigh in well who's Albert Pike? well He's only the, really the highest ranking Freemason of the 1800s. He was the only Confederate war general to ever have a statue of himself erected within the city limits of Washington, D.C. Why would they do that? Because he was a very extremely high level ranking Freemason. Albert Pike was the one that wrote the Masonic Bible called Morals and Dogma. In Morals and Dogma, he says, and this is in, this is in one of the Chick Tracks, uh, the, the quote goes something like this. I say this to you, Sovereign Grand Inspector Generals of the 31st, 32nd, and, and um, 33rd degree, or that, that you may repeat this to some of the, the brethren of the lower ranks, that the God that we worship is not the one 
that the world worships, that, that, that is not the one that... The God that we say we worship is the one that the world adores without superstition. But I say unto you, the Masons of the 33rd, 32nd, and 31st degree, that the God we worship is Lucifer. And if Lucifer were not God, would he not calculate Luce, um, Jesus? I, so, he, what, what, he's, what he's saying in this quote, essentially, is that the God that the Masons worship is Lucifer. And this is said in Morals and Dogma. And if you get the chick tracks that, that have this, it has a picture of Albert Pike and a quote. Right, right next to it. I mean, it's a quote right out of the book. So, this is the guy that's going to give us this quote right now. Okay? Albert Pike wrote that all pagan religions worship the sun. Whether they knew it or not, they were actually worshiping Satan because as an angel, he was known as Lucifer or light bearer. Now, in Isaiah 14.12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Okay? Um, How art thou cut down which didst weaken the nations? The Jewish temple faced the east. So that when they worship God, they would be turned away from the rising sun in the east. The sunrise service actually stems from the pagan rite of spring that was held during the vernal equinox to welcome the coming sun. According to pagan tradition, when the sun would rise on Easter morning, it would dance in the heavens. So those would, so those who would congregate as well would dance in honor of the sun. S-U-N. Sun. Okay. That's from Albert Pike. One of the most wicked, evil men that ever lived in the 1800s. Okay? He was also, he was also the guy that started the Ku Klux Klan. You know, a really fun guy. You know? So anyway, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a little more food for thought. The verse that is found in Mark 16.2 is often given to justify the promotion of Easter sunrise services, which says, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sucklicker of the rising, at the rising sun. I'm sorry, it still doesn't give you justification for doing this, you know. If that's, I mean, if that's all you have to hang your hat on biblically, the one thing you're going to have to do is just disprove everything that I've just said first. Because what, I've, what we're getting into here are facts. Facts that are documented in church history, facts that are documented in pagan history, and they're all in agreement. So there's really not a whole lot of controversy about this. Well, where do we get the traditions of the Carnival and the Mardi Gras. Let's talk about that. This is from Encyclopedia America, Volume 5. Quote, in the, tradition, in the traditional Christian calendar, this is about carnivals and Mardi Gras, it is a period of feasting and merrymaking, immediately preceding Lent. See, what you want to do is, you know, i got 40 days where i got to kind of give stuff up. I want to party like, you know, an animal before, before i uh, before I got to go into this whole Lent thing. I mean, you know, let's let it all hang out. That's basically their, their attitude. So it says, within Europe, traditions and customs are, quote, especially strong in rural areas, where magical rites carried over from pre-Christian times mingle comfortably with Christian ritual and precept. Magical rites mingle comfortably? Well, you know something? I can't really deny it. He's right. The Encyclopedia America's right. And that's what's happened in the church. The magical rites, the leaven, is mingled comfortably with Christian ritual, with the traditions of men. Okay? Uh, this is a quote from The World of Holidays by Catherine Chambers. Quote, the most important day of carnival is Shrove Tuesday. 
the day immediately preceding the first day of Lent. Remember, it's preceding. Okay? Lent. Okay, so you have Ash Wednesday, which is basically when Lent begins. Shrove Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday, if you've heard of that expression, is the day before Ash Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday. So you party like an animal, Shrove Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday, and then you've got to get all pious for 40 days of Lent. Got to give it up. But then you get to eat your you get to eat your Easter Tammuz ham at the end. So you know that's kind of a you know membership has its privileges, a little perk there at the end waiting for you. Shrove Tuesday is well known as Mardi Gras in the United States. So that's another word for Mardi Gras. Well, is that where like they get all crazy in New Orleans? Well, wow, New Orleans, what a great example of a, of a Christian place, you know, I mean, it's it's got the highest um, amount of witches per capita of any place in the United States, it's the voodoo capital of the United States, uh, you know, it, it's got more problems with hauntings and ghosts and things like that than any other place in the world, it's one of the most wicked places, you, I mean, they got voodoo shops everywhere there, oh, but that's okay, you know, it's, Mardi Gras is, is we, we can even put a Christian veneer in Mardi Gras, you know, they got homosexuals there, I mean, it's... But see, those types of places attract those types of things. Evil begets evil. If you've got a lot of evil going on someplace, don't be, don't be surprised if more evil doesn't show up. And New Orleans is one of the most evil places on the planet. Uh, Shrove Tuesday, also known as Mardi Gras in the United States, the French word Mardi Gras actually means Fat Tuesday. This is where we get all the meanings of these words. This was the day that everyone gorged themselves on all their rich foods. They did this before the Lenten fasting. Lenten. In rural Europe, several of the main features of Mardi Gras that have endured into the carnival celebrations are number one, dramatizations symbolizing the death of winter and the resurrection of the life of spring. Well, this is where we get... This is where we get, you know, oh, we're going to connect this all with the resurrection of Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. This is where we're connecting all of this. Do you need me to stop? Yeah, Doug just brought up that throughout all the churches, or many churches, one of the main things they do this time of year is they dramatize with some type of play or whatever that they put on musical production or whatever, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, well, we're doing it to win people to the Lord. How are you going to take something that's associated with evil, something that God commanded us not to do, and, and put a Christian veneer on it and say, well, we're winning people to the Lord. Well, what is the real fruit of that? Are you getting really lasting converts that have really converted? I'm not saying God couldn't save somebody on Easter. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your whole foundation, your whole premise is warped. In that. So, in rural, now this is from Encyclopedia America. In rural Europe, several of the main features that have endured in the carnival celebrations are dramatizations, dramatizations symbolizing the death of winter and the resurrection of life in the spring, two, customs and rites to ensure fertility and abundance in man and nature, and three, rich food, drink, and merrymaking. Oh, that sounds all Christian to me, you know. Now, Carl, now, this is from a quote from an essay on the development of Christian doctrine by John Henry Cardinal Newman, page 359. Cardinal. Now, we know the guy's a Catholic. You know, if he's a cardinal, either that or he's a bird. Okay, so we know he's either a Catholic or a bird. That's all I know from this quote. And if he's a bird, he's, a, he's one of those birds that talks. Okay? But I didn't think cardinals talk. I only thought, like, parakeets and 
certain parrots. So anyway, Cardinal Newman admits in his book that, quote, the use of temples and these dedicated to particular saints. Now this is, what an indictment this quote is. Because this quote covers, I, I took some of the things out of the quotes because I didn't even know what they meant some, when it comes to do with Catholicism. But it says, in the book, in, in his book, he says, quote, the use of temples and these dedicated to particular saints and the ornamented and ornamented on occasions with branches of trees, incense, lamps, candles, votive offerings on the recovery from illness, holy water, holidays and seasons, remember that, holidays and seasons, the use of calendars, processions, blessings on the fields, sacerdotal vestments, the ring of marriage, turning to the east, are all pagan in origin and sanctified by their adoption into the church. How dare he say that? You're telling me that you can act and do as the devil does, but as long as the church sanctifies it. You know something? The church doesn't sanctify anything. The word of God sanctifies us. Jesus Christ sanctified. Well, what does sanctified mean? Sanctified means to be made holy and set apart for God's use. That's what sanctification means. We're sanctified as a Christian through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how a Christian is sanctified, through that belief in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone as your hope and as the only way of salvation. But, there, but, this, but this blasphemous Cardinal Newman says that all these things that are going on in the Catholic Church, everything... Holy water, holidays and seasons, all these pagan holidays they put the veneer of Christianity on. Uh, turning to the east, it, isn't that interesting? He just mentioned that. Are all pagan and orgy. He also said the ring in marriage, the wedding ring. I've seen, I, in fact, I saw something this week on that, that, the, that wedding rings were actually stemmed from. In fact, they had a whole documentary on where it was showing all of the things in marriage. Like, the veil, you know why they have the veil? To keep away demons? To, to, to Supposedly the veil protected them from demons? The reason that, they, that the bride and groom had, had witnesses was because it had something to do with keeping away evil spirits? I mean, I didn't even really watch much of it, but, but it was like, everything about the marriage ceremony was evil too. It was all pagan. Every bit of it. The, the wedding ring, uh, throwing rice, um, every single little stinking tradition that we adhere to, almost every one of them has some type of pagan uh, background or custom. It's unbelievable. You talk about being destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, this is why we need to be open-minded to truth. Now, I don't mean open-minded to every heresy that comes our way, but we need to be open-minded to the point of being able to humble ourselves and say, hey, you know something? I was wrong. You know how many times I've had to do that? I mean, me coming out of the most radical sect of Pentecostalism, from, from a background where, where I grew up, where I had no influence, I went to a Catholic high school, Lutheran middle school, parents were, were, were totally in the world, you know, rock and roll, hard rock music, grew up in, in just the worldliest of most... Hey man, there's a lot of humbling that has to be done once you get saved, if you've been in that. Because all of a sudden, just because you get saved doesn't mean you have a comprehension of all the ways you've been deceived over all these years. That doesn't, this is, this is why when you're born into the body of Christ, you're a babe. 
and and you and you and a baby has to be fed to grow, and it takes time to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't just become Mr. Super Christian overnight. Um, so, and and not to say that I'm saying I'm Mr. Super Christian by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm talking in generalities here. So, it, it takes time, and and the more the more you were deceived prior to your conversion, the more junk you're going to have to weed through to finally get to this point where, where you know, I mean, it's, it's ongoing. It's every day. I'll, I'll learn something more tomorrow that I was deceived about, probably. So I'm not trying to sit here and act like I'm the purveyor of all knowledge, I know everything, or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. It's a humbling experience once you've been converted, because you start to realize if you have a real sincere desire for the truth... Well, how do we know that? Well, the Bible, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, truth sets us free. It sets us free from bondage. That's what truth does. It's a great thing about truth. So, yeah, good old Cardinal Newman just admitted all this. And finally, I mean, this was a whole... You talk about an indictment on the Catholic Church. He said they're all pagan in origin. And then he turns around and has the audacity to say, but they're all sanctified by their adoption into the church. No, they're not, you devil. They're not sanctified. I don't care what you say. You're a lying devil. That's all this man is. The penetration, now this is from Faith of Our Fathers, Cardinal Gibbons, the penetration of the new, of the religion of Babylon became so general and well known that Rome was called the New Babylon. This is what another, this is what um, um, an, another cardinal was saying. And this was in 17, uh, 1917 he said this, Faith of Our Fathers. He admitted the penetration of the new religion of Babylon became so general and well known that Rome was called the New Babylon. He's admitted it. And my people love to have it so. Of course, I'm not going to go so far as to say call the Catholics God's people. But I'm just saying, in generality, that's what they refer to as Christians. The, the world, mostly. Um, this is from Eusebius, in regard to the life of Constantine, page 94. Quote, in order to attach Christianity... Great attraction in the eyes of nobility, the priests adopted the outer garments and the adornments which were used in pagan cults. See, that way the pagans could come in and feel comfortable right away. Because they recognized the clothing that these high priests were wearing. And they said, ah, that's pagan. I feel comfortable here. Now, the Christians didn't know, they, they, but they thought, well, you know, the guy looks religious or whatever. But they, see... The pagans knew this. They were smarter. He's admitting it right here. Here's another quote. Religious tradition and myth by Dr. Edwin Good, Good Enough. What a name. Good Enough. Oh, you got to love that. Wow. Anyway, Dr. Edwin Good Enough. Professor of Religion, Harvard University. Page 56 and 57. Quote, The church did everything it could to stamp out such pagan rites, but had to capitulate and allow the rites to continue with only the name of the local deity changed to some Christian saint's name. Whatever. <laughs> the church did everything. Who is he referring to? He ain't referring to the Catholic church because they embraced it. Now, are you telling me that the true church then did everything it could to stamp out pagan rites, but just finally had to capitulate? The true church would never, ever, ever capitulate to that. It wouldn't happen. 
it would not happen. If the Holy Spirit's living inside those people, they're not going to compete. Oh, well, we give up. Come on in, bring all your pagan stuff. Come on, come on. No, I'm sorry, that never, that didn't happen. But the Catholics put on this veneer, and through the Council of Nicaea and through Constantine, they did allow these rites to continue. Um, these pagan rites. In Stanley's history, page 40, quote, the popes filled the place of the vacant emperors at Rome, inheriting their power, their prestige, and their titles from paganism. That's what the popes did. They inherited all of their power, their prestige, and their titles from paganism. Because the Romans were pagans. This is where we get the, 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 the celebration of Saturnalia, which is, what's, which is what is known as Christmas today. Saturnalia, the god of Saturn. It was a Roman festival of debauchery. They would actually have sex with little kids. It was sick. But oh, we, we can put a Christian veneer on it and make ourselves feel all well and good. Well, God doesn't see it that way. I'm sorry. Revelation 17.5 says, And upon her forehead was, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots, the abominations of the earth. Amen. Now, let's look a little bit at the history of Easter, Christian and pagan traditions interwoven. And this is mostly what I'm going to be quoting from. is from a pagan website. Okay, so there, there's not a controversy in this pagan website about this information. We've been quoting from the whole gamut here today, and all I see is agreement from every, from every angle. From the pagans, from the pseudo-Christians, the Catholics, and from true Christians. We all have agreement here. What is Easter? What is around? What does all this stuff mean? 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, that's what we're doing when we celebrate Ishtar. We're, we're yoking ourselves up with the world, with this world pagan holiday. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Well, that would all apply to Ishtar, Easter. For ye are the temple of the living God. We as Christians are the temple of the living God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside us if we're born again, saved Christian. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's what we're supposed to do. The, the Bible also says in Revelation, it says, Wherefore come out from among them my people, and be not partakers of her plagues. That would also apply here. Uh, Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now what if we don't do all this? What if we don't come out from among them, saith the Lord? Well then, how is he going to be a father to us? And how are we going to be his sons and daughters? So see, you can turn scriptures around, and, 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 and look at it that way too. The history of Easter reveals rich associations between the Christian faith and the seemingly unrelated practices of early pagan religions. Easter history and traditions that we practice today evolve from pagan symbols from the ancient goddess Ishtar to Easter eggs into the Easter Buddy. Now this is from this pagan website. This is what they're saying. Easter perhaps the most important of the Christian holidays. Of course, they don't even 
understand that, celebrates the Christ's resurrection from the dead, following the death on Good Friday. A rebirth that is commemorated around the vernal equinox, historically a time of pagan celebration that coincides with the arrival of spring and symbolizes the arrival of light and the awakening of life around us. Now, let's talk about Ostara, the goddess of spring and the dawn. Easter. Ostara is also known as Easter. Easter is named for the Saxon goddess who was known by other names as Ostara or Eastry. And in and in Germany by the name Ostara. She is the goddess of the dawn and the spring, and her name derives from the word for dawn, the shining light arising from the east. Our word for the female hormone, estrogen, derives from her name. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Ostara was, of course, a fertility goddess. And that's why it would be associated with the word estrogen, because estrogen has a lot to do with fertility in a female. Okay? Bringing, she was the fertility goddess, bringing in the end of winter. And the days brighter and growing longer after the vernal equinox. Ostara had a passion for new life. Oh, isn't that special? Her presence was felt in the flowering plants and the birth of babes, both animal and human. The rabbit was well known for its pr- propensity for rapid reproduction and was her sacred animal. So that rabbit was her sacred This is why we get the Easter bunny. Okay? <laughs> Easter eggs and the Easter bunny both featured in the spring festivals of Ostara which were initially held during the feast of the goddess Ishtar, eggs were an obvious symbol of fertility, and the newborn chicks an adorable representation of their new growth. Brightly colored eggs, chicks, and bunnies were all used at festival time to express the appreciation for Ostara's gift of abundance. Now, you know what's ironic about all this, is if you study this out, we went before and we said all the different names for, for Ishtar. Okay? Astarte, Aphrodite, Venus, Hecate, Diana. Another one is Lilith. Now, Hecate and Lilith are also basically interchangeable and symbolic with Ashtaroth or Ishtar. Okay. Hecate and Lilith are the goddesses of, like, the underworld. They're the goddesses of death and child sacrifice. So isn't it kind of ironic that we have these, these pagan female deities supposedly representing life. But you know something? There's always a price to pay for what they give you. And many times, this is where we get the, the whole thing of child sacrifice, where we have, like, um, sacrificing um, to the goddess of Lilith or Hecate, okay, where we actually, where the pagans would actually perform human sacrifice to these goddesses because supposedly if the goddesses gave it to you, then they, ha- then they can say what price that they have to pay. So isn't it ironic that, you know, supposedly you could have, you could go, and, and this is what they did with, with uh, Moloch, you know, they, they had that statue with Moloch with the, with the hands out in front, and they would heat them up to white hot, and then they would, they would, they would put their little newborn babies on those hands, and I mean, it's, it's incomprehensible to me, but they would put their, their little newborn babies on their on those white hot hands in, in, in sacrifice to the god of Moloch. Now supposedly the hands were pointed, I think, up a little bit so that when they put the baby on them, he had a cavity right here and the baby would roll into him. It was it was just disgusting, but I mean you, you don't you don't deserve to, 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 to have life in your life. You you deserve if you deserve if you did something like that, I, I mean uh, it would just be so much better for those people to go to hell if they're not going to repent. Because if they don't repent and they continue in their wickedness, they're just going to kill more. What's more merciful? And again, that's a whole other rabbit trail. But that's incomprehensible to, to most of us. 
But that's what these god, these gods and goddesses of child sacrifice. Now, why would they do this to Moloch or Lilith or well, normally to gain financial prosperity or that their crops would grow? So, see, in other words, if you want the goodies, if you want, if you want, you know, the money or if you want the crops to grow or whatever, you're going to have to give me one of your kids. There's always the, there's always a gigantic price to pay. So, anyway, this is the same. Ishtar that we're talking about, associated with the same things. Whatever veneer they want to put on her. But see, the devil's like a chameleon. He can change, change shape, make look whatever the way he wants to look. So, moving on here. During the rule of Caesar Augustus, now this is the history of Easter eggs in Easter King, according to the pagans. Okay, During the rule of Caesar Augustus, Hygienius, an Egyptian, who was the librarian at the Palace Palatine Library in Rome, wrote, quote, An egg of, of a wondrous sight is said to have fallen from heaven into the river Euphrates. The fishes rolled it to the bank, where the doves having settled upon it and hatched it. And out came Venus, who afterwards was called the Syrian goddess Astarte. This is why... With the starte, you notice there's the word star in the midst of that word, a starte. And that star is either symbolic of the five-pointed or the six-pointed hexagram star. And again, that's a, that's another rabbit trail we won't go down. Oh, guess rabbit trail is kind of no pun intended because we're talking about rabbits now. Sorry about that, I lost control there. So anyway, <laughs> part of their worship to this goddess was the ritual involving the golden egg of a starte. Ah, the golden egg of a starte. This was where we got the tradition of the Easter egg. So this is why we get... Okay, if you really want to go into this, what they believe is out of the sky, the pagans believe out of the sky, fell this big, giant, multicolored egg out of the sky into the river Euphrates. And what happened is, is, is the, is the um, egg floated up on shore into, into these wicker reeds. This is where we get the wicker baskets, the wicker Easter baskets. Rolled up into there, and then out of the out of this egg came Ishtar, the goddess of fertility. Her symbol was the bunny rabbit. She came in an egg. You see where all of our Easter traditions come from? Right there alone, that shows you where it's all where it's all coming from. Okay. The egg was a mystical symbol. Okay, now now hold. Let's go back to Albert Pike again, Mr. Mr. Albert Pike, highest ranking Freemason of the 1800s, the man that wrote the, the Masonic uh, Bible called Morals and Dogma. Illuminati member, the guy that started the KKK. This is from his book, Morals and Dogma. The egg was a mystical symbol to the pagan religions of Egypt, Japan, Greece, Persia, Phoenicia, India, and Babylon. On page 496 of Morals and Dogma, he writes, quote, The serpent entwined around the egg was a symbol common to the Indians, the Egyptians, and the Druids. It referred to the creation of the universe. A serpent with an egg in its mouth was a symbol of the universe containing within itself the germ of all things that the sun develops. The property possessed by the serpent of casting its skin, you know how serpents shed their skin? The property possessed by the serpent of casting its skin and apparently renewing its youth made it an emblem of eternity and immortality. Thus we see an indication that the egg initially represented the serpent worship and by extension Satan worship. End of quote. Albert Pike. Who would know better than the highest ranking occultist in the 18th century? 1800s I should say. 
This is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, this quote. Because the use of eggs was forbidden during Lent, got to give them up. You know, got to give them up. There, Lisa. Can't have them. Sorry. Because the use of eggs were were forbidden during Lent, they were brought to the table on Easter Day. Colored red to symbolize the Easter joy. Oh, how special. This custom is not only in Latin was not only found in Latin, but also in Oriental churches. The custom may have its origin in paganism. It is. It probably started in Babylon, and they carried it to their different parts of the land when they were split up at the Tower of Babel. This is why so many religions that may be scattered all around the earth have very, very similar customs, because they all spawn from the same uh, pagan roots. So, the custom may have its origin in paganism for, for many great pagan customs celebrating the return of spring gravitated to Easter. That was from this uh, Catholic encyclopedia they're saying this. They're admitting it. The history of the Easter eggs as a symbol of new life should come as no surprise. The notion that the earth itself was hatched from an egg was once widespread and appears in creation stories ranging from Asian to Asia to Ireland. So we were, I guess we were all hatched from an egg. Good old Mother Earth was hatched from an egg. Oh boy. What would the Big Bang guy say? I I don't know. I mean, what would Darwin say? He'd probably roll over in his grave. I don't know. All this controversy. I can't take it much more, Doug. I think I'm just going to fold like a lawn chair. Sorry. (sighs) Eggs in the ancient times in Northern Europe were a potent symbol of fertility and often used in rituals to guarantee a woman's ability to bear children. Listen to this. To this day, rural granny women, they call them granny women, which are actually lay midwives and healers in the Appalachian Mountains. Oh boy. These granny women still use eggs to predict with uncanny accuracy the sex of an unborn child by watching the rotation of of an egg as it is as it is suspended by a string over the abdomen of a pregnant woman. I did not know this. I didn't know this. So, you know, hey, why? I mean, a pregnancy test can't tell you that. We, you know what you could do? You could go have your little pagan, uh, the, you know, thing. You could sell it in a store. It would just be an egg with a string on it. Say, you know, predict your baby's uh, thing there. I'm surprised they're not doing it. Mass marketing it. The Appalachian women, they could, they could start up something like that. But what is that? That's divination. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft, okay? That's all it is. These were from the Appalachian Mountains. These women there. Uh, this is one thing I had never known about. Dyed eggs are given as gifts in many cultures. Decorated eggs bring with them a wish for prosperity and abundance during the coming year. Now, where do we get the Easter ham? Well, now, we've already talked a little bit about this. I'm going to go over it a little bit more. Ham at Easter is also popular among Americans and Europeans because the pig was considered a symbol of luck in pre-Christian European culture. Now that's from page 558 of the Encyclopedia of Religion. Luck. Where do we derive the word luck from? Lucifer. (laughs) Lucifer. So it's not a good word to go around saying I had good luck. Like lucky charms or lucky stars. It's satanic. The pig was sacred to the Greek goddess Demeter. The corn goddess. Well, that would make sense because pigs like corn. Of course, they like about anything who represented fertility and abundance, the corn goddess. But the pig, she liked the, she liked the pigs, Demeter. And 
Demeter is just another counterpart of Astarte, who's just another counterpart of Aphrodite, or another counterpart of Venus, or Astarte, or Ishtar. They're all the same, repackaged. In various depictions of her, she is either shown carrying or being accompanied by a pig. Hmm. So pigs were regularly sacrificed to her. And it was believed, well, if she liked them so much, why would she want to kill them? Hmm. I don't know. So pigs were, were regularly sacrificed to her, and it was believed that by eating what they felt represented the embodied, the, the embodied, represented and embodied their goddess, they were, in fact, eating her body. Now this is where we probably get the notion of transubstantiation in the Catholic Church, where they believe, the Catholics believe, that the wine and the host are actually transformed by the priest, who only has that power, into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean symbolic, I mean the actual blood and body of Jesus Christ. That's called transubstantiation. It's, it's just one other heresy that the Catholics believe. So this is kind of similar to that. The prophet Isaiah warned of this in Isaiah 65, 3-5. Um, another source says that the pig represents the wild boar that killed Tammuz and eating the ham was done in remembrance of him. Well, that's the one That's the one that I've always heard. Isaiah 65, 3-5 says, He that killeth an ox is, a, is, as, is as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. So I think this is where they're, they're getting this from. Um... And it's funny, because in verse 4 it says, I will, I will choose their delusions, and I will bring their fears upon them. See, God's choosing their delusions. They're doing all this and calling themselves religious. But see, God is going to choose their delusions. See, a lot, so, so much of what we're seeing today is God's doing. He's letting it happen. And this is the strong delusion God said He was going to send. That they would believe a lot. Well, that's cruel. Well, you know, God gives people opportunities. But most people don't want the truth. They want what's going to please the flesh. They don't want what's going to please God. And so God's going to give them over to strong delusion that they will believe a lie. Now, there's one other thing I want to get into today. And this is how I'm going to end it. And there's a controversy in the King James Bible. And there's been many people out there that say, Well, King James Bible's not perfect because you know what? In um, Acts 12.4, the King James Bible should say Passover. It shouldn't say um, it shouldn't say Easter. Let's just look at it real quick. We're, we're going to go into this and uh, then we'll be done. We'll wrap this up. Acts 12, 4. Actually, what we're going to do here is vindicate the King James Bible and show that this actually is um, the right thing to do. Let's just start in, um, well, let's, let's just start in verse 1. Now about the time the Herod, the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now this is when the, the apostles started really getting martyred. Uh, or, well, it was after they'd started, but um, he was really stepping it up. Verse 3, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, and he's talking about Peter, and delivered him to the four 
quaternions of soldiers to keep him intended after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now every other false perversion translated that, translates that word Easter as Passover. The King James Bible is the only Bible in existence that translates the word Easter, which is the proper translation. Now we're going to look at why is that. Okay, question, why should the KJV not say Passover in Acts 12.4? Now, this is from uh, David Daniels, author of the King James Bible Companion, and also author of Bible Versions, Your Questions Answered. Um, you can get this book at chick, chick.com. Uh, and it's, um, so he says... Why should the KJV not not say Passover in Acts 12.4? The King James translates the word Pascha as Passover 28 times in every other place it appears in the New Testament. Why not in Acts 12.4? Well, that's a fair question. It's a fair, fair question. I mean, we need to always be able to, to, to be able to answer these things, okay? And I can't tell you how many times I've read things where it says, well, the King James mistranslated Acts 12.4. Well, what does that cause? It causes you to doubt the Word of God. Oh, these scholars, they're just so smart. They just know better. They just know better, you know. Answer. Here's the answer. Passover is not the correct translation of Pascha in this single New Testament passage. If we examine the Passover celebration and days of unleavened bread from the Old Testament, we will see why Acts 12.4 cannot be about Passover. Now again, this is one of those, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Okay, This is one of those things where if all, you had, if all you had was the Greek to go by, you'd get messed up. I'm sorry, but you would. But if the Holy Spirit can guide a person to translate a Bible, then he can correct for these types of errors. It's not an error, but he can correct for these types of things. And there's a reason why this one word was translated Easter, and all the other 28 times it wasn't. Okay, let's, let's look at it. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 12, 1-4, which we just read. Here's what the Bible says. Now at about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he sought to please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Please note, the time in which the apostle James was killed, then were the days of unleavened bread. When were these days? The Bible is very specific. In Leviticus 23, 5-8, and Numbers 28, 16-25, we find two very clear definitions of the days of Passover and the feasts slash the days of unleavened bread. Passover occurs on the 14th day of the first month at even, which is starting at sunset. Two, the feast days and the days of unleavened bread start after Passover, on the 15th day of the next month. Which is, you can find that reference in Numbers 28.17. And, the, and then these are continuing through the 21st day. Both the 15th and the 21st days were treated as Sabbath days, days of worship, and not of servile work. That can be confirmed in Leviticus 23.7-8 and Numbers 28.18-25. and 25. The Bible tells us clearly Passover is before the days of unleavened bread, not after. That's the key. 
the Bible tells us Passover is before the days of unleavened bread and not after. What was Herod talking about? Okay, in this scripture, in the scripture we just read in uh, Acts 12. A simple summary of the scriptures will help us understand. The Bible says Herod killed the Apostle James, John's brother, with the sword. Then he took the Apostle Peter as well. Those days were the days of unleavened bread. When he did this, it says it right here. Okay, it says it right here in verse 3. In Acts 12, verse 3. So those were the days of unleavened bread. But while Herod wanted to put Peter in front of the people intending to kill him with their approval, he decided to wait for something the Greek calls Pascha. The Greek calls Pascha. Then he would bring out Peter. Here is the simple order to keep in mind. Number one, Passover. Then the days of unleavened bread. Then Pascha. Okay, Pascha is what the Greeks called Easter. Okay, so we have Passover, days of unleavened bread, then Easter. Please note, the Passover was before the days of unleavened bread. And this Pascha, Herod was waiting, was after the days of unleavened bread. Ooh, um, it says in verse 3, And he, because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Okay, so, and then it says in, in verse 4, it says, To keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. If you just look at this with a little bit of reason, you'll understand what, what's going on here. So let's say this again. Please note that the Passover was before the Days of Unleavened Bread. In the Bible, the Passover, and we can define that from these other verses we just mentioned. <coughs> Passover was before the Days of Unleavened Bread. And this Pascha, Herod was, was referring to, was waiting, was waiting till after the Days of Unleavened Bread. But see, the true Passover was before the Days of Unleavened Bread. So what is this what is this Pascha that he's referring to after the days of unleavened bread? Therefore, while Herod may have been waiting for Easter, the feast of Ishtar, which the Greeks also called Pascha, he was not waiting for Passover. That is why the King James Bible in this single instance had to translate the word Pascha by a word other than Passover. The translators of the King James Bible knew their Bible. Do the translators of the modern versions? I don't think so. So, well, we got through everything. We got through everything. I don't think that, um, oh, let me, let me just go over this one thing. This is a little, little current event for me in here. Uh, I was, uh, saw this the other day, I was passing through this place, and, um, I saw this little, um, brochure here. Grotto Fund Drive. Fund Drive. Shows a guy, a Shriner, on a bike, with all his Shriner regalia, his red fez. Actually, his looks black, but it should be red. And, uh, he, uh, they're having a Harley Davidson Heritage Softail Fund Drive. This is, they're going to give away this, this Harley Davidson, this, these good, godly Shriner Mason guys. And it's called the Grotto Fun Drive. And I thought that was interesting because if you study witchcraft, and, and I've seen ex-Satanists um, talk about, they, they would refer to a, um, many times what they refer to as a witch coven as, 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 as a, they refer to these things as grottos. Grotto is a very evil, evil word. And it, it is in reference to um, 
where witches or warlocks would gather to meet and do whatever they're going to do, whatever magic. So they're having their... We've got your 33rd degree Shriner Mason guy here with his grotto fun drive, and he's on a, Har- a wicked Harley. Harley Davidson, one of the wickest, wickedest com- uh, companies on earth. Their, their colors are black and orange, which is where we get you know the, the colors of Halloween from. They're just wicked to the core. And yet on the back, they've got their humanitarian foundation with their little tooth guy. This is this picture of this little tooth, and he's got a little toothbrush. And, and it's, uh, it's dental care for children with special needs. And it's got the little tooth with the, with the Masonic um, fez hat on. And what, and what the, the, the true Shriner hat, the red fez, was symbolic of all the, all the uh, Christians that were slaughtered in the city of Morocco in Fez. And what happened is, is when they slaughtered them, they took their, their hats, which were these, these hats that look like the Fezes of today, and they dipped them in the blood of the Christians, and that's why they're red. And they take them home as a Shriner, and they put them under a glass, like you'd put a cake under a piece of glass, under, under, in like a cake jar, and they have it, and it's basically like an uh, idol that they worship. Okay? So it has their little, their little thing there, and, um, 100% of the proceeds for this, for this fund drive goes to the children through the grottos of North America. Humanitarian fund. What a, what an abomination this is. Supporting dental care for special needs children. You know, I, I had read that previously, a couple weeks ago, where they've determined that it's like, I think, maybe 3 or 2% of all the money that's given to the Shriners for these hospitals ends up going to the kids. It's a very, very minuscule amount. Okay? So, uh, this is, uh, oh, and they're, they're going to join us June 16th at Hideaway Sports Bar for bike night. Yeah, June... Hideaway Sports Bar on Dean Street for June bike night drawing. Isn't that great? You know, Gailey, uh, it's it's the Gailey Grotto. That that's where that they've actually got their place named the Gailey Grotto. I, I guess that's where they. If you want to send mail to them, I I just I was I was in awe. I I I, I thought I'd seen everything, but that was information for me later to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll go ahead and end there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord God, for thou this day. We praise you for all your goodness and mercy, Lord, that you've bestowed upon us in every way, shape, and form. I pray, God, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed, Lord God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from secret sins and presumptuous faults presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over us, that your name would be glorified through the body of Christ, and that you would use the body of Christ to lead many to the Lord, and that, Lord God, your fear would be upon this world, and upon the sin-sick church, pseudo-church that presents itself in today's day and age. We praise you, Lord God, we thank you for all your goodness and mercy, we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.